All right, it's really good to see everybody. I want to thank y'all for coming and being a part of our study today. I hope that everybody's doing well. Uh, looks like y'all had a good lunch. Thankful for the people you that want provided that. Time? No, I don't want a lunch. Thank you, though. Sure uh, yeah, I had one before I got here. Um, today, we're going to, uh, this will be the last class I have with y'all until July, I think. I don't have y'all in June. I have y'all again next month. You sure? Maybe you do have. Maybe I have you in June and then not July. Match July. Okay, so I must be in here next month too. Well, we're gonna finish up uh, Luke, uh, a part of Luke 12 today. Um, as promised, Lori wanted to talk about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, the unpardonable sin, and so we're gonna try to focus a little bit on that today as we continue in our study of the life of Christ through a harmony of the Gospels. Now, John is June. Yep. Well, we'll see you. August. Yeah. Okay. That's good. So this will be my last class with y'all. So let's try to stay focused and see if we can get through this material. There's a lot to talk about, and um, it's uh, this is really a serious thing. This is not something just to joke around about. Um, so let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer and ask God to bless our time together. Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the many blessings that you pour on our lives, our salvation, um, the many provisions that you provide for us for our physical needs and our daily bread. Um, thank you so much for allowing us to know you, to understand you, and to 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 seek you. Um, it is because of the work of you, your Holy Spirit uh, that we have hearts to even do so. And so, Lord, I pray for every person here. I pray that you will... Um, prod our hearts to seek your truth and to know your truth and believe your truth. I pray that you will give us the strength and the willingness to walk in those truths and share those truths with others. And Lord, if there be one within the sound of my voice that has never trusted you, my prayer is that you will convict their hearts uh, so that they might turn from sin and self and turn to your salvation through your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So. Um, let's look at the passage of the text really quick. We're going to read the main text that we'll be focusing on today, and then we'll get into talking about our discussion about blasphemy. It says, and this is Luke chapter 12, verses 8 through 12. Jesus says, And I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man will confess him also before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about what you are going to speak in your defense or what you are to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. This is Luke chapter 12, verses 8 through 12. Okay. All right, so remember, um, the context of this passage, um, Jesus in Luke 11 uh, pronounced a bunch of woes on the Pharisees. What was the main problem with the Pharisees? What was the, what were they accused of? Killing um, themselves, uh, being publicly important. Themselves. Okay, they, they had an external righteousness, but internally they were condemned, right? They, they, they had a religion, but that religion was, the purpose of that religion was to glorify themselves and not to glorify God. Remember, God saves you, not so that you can be a light unto yourself, but so that you can be a light unto the world. 
like the people, the children of Israel were called by God to be His light in the world around them. And instead of allowing that light to shine through them and to turn the world to God, what did they do? They made that light shine on them and made it about themselves. It was about self-righteousness, about self-will, um, about uh, self-sufficiency. And they rejected God and His truth. They made their own gods, didn't they? Well, generally they made a God of their own creation. They created God in their image and worshipped Him. And so God created us in His image. God created us in His image and we are uh, supposed to worship Him. Man then turns around and tries to create a God in His image and worship that. If you think about Zeus and Hera and Apollo and Aphrodite and all of the Greek gods and goddesses, they all had human qualities, didn't they? They got angry and they they cheated on their wives and they did all the same things that men do. And so the the Greeks were very guilty. The Romans as well were very guilty of creating gods in their image and worshiping them. We want God to be like us because then we can control Him. The funny thing is we can't even control ourselves, can we? All right. So in... Jesus had been chiding these Pharisees about being hypocrites, about being externally righteous, but internally wicked. And what he was saying to them was, is that whatever is inside of you is eventually going to come out. You can't keep it hid forever. If God's light is in you, God's light will come out of you. If there is darkness in you, that darkness will come out of you. And so then in chapter 12, Jesus was telling us, that God cares about us, that He loves us, that He uh, He knows us inside and out, that He warned the the people to not let the darkness, to not let the light that is in you be darkness. Remember, He said that. He said, "Do not let the light that is in be careful that the light that is in you is not darkness." And so, what He meant was, there are people who are walking in the dark who actually think that they're the light of the world. And one of the important things that we need to see about these passages, we talk about blasphemy, about misusing the name of God, about blaspheming the Holy Spirit, about the unpardonable sin. One of the things that we do need to remember is that almost every time that Jesus is warning about this, it's about people who are considered God's people. These are the ones that are always guilty of it. So it's not the drunks and the prostitutes and the tax collectors that are guilty of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's the very ones that are standing up in the pulpits and sitting in the pews. This sounds like the televangelist people. Yeah. Well, the reality is, is that what is the point of this message? The point of the message is for us to allow that word to work in us, to search out the hypocrisy within me and to eradicate it. To find areas of my life where I am convinced that I am walking in light when in reality I'm walking in darkness. Now, is there anyone in this room that thinks that they are above that ability to walk in darkness? And remember, you uh, above. You're above it. I believe I'm equal to weak. Okay. All right. Equal. Okay. So think about this. If the worst deception that there is. It's self-deception. When you are convinced you are right, like you are truly convinced you are right, nobody is going to convince you otherwise, are they? No. When you've made up your mind that you know it, 
There ain't nobody going to tell you different. And I guarantee you there's a lot of gray hair in this room. I can promise you that every one of you in this room could give me numerous examples of things that you stood for and a lifestyle that you lived in the past that you now look back upon in shame and misery. Like, you were confidently living a certain way. And I'm not just talking about drugs and alcohol for the class here. I'm talking about concepts in your mind, things that you thought and believed when you were young that nobody can convince you that you were wrong. And now you look back on it and see how foolish you are. And that is one of the purposes of the Word of God. To purge out the leaven in our lives. Remember we talked about that last week. Uh, Jesus said, beware of the leaven. Beware of the, the leaven of the Pharisees. The hypocrisy of the externally religious crowd. Beware of the leaven of the Herodians. Right? Uh, people relying on Herod. Who was Herod? Herod was the government structure of that day. How many people today are leaning and relying on our government, looking to man to solve problems for us, right? And thinking that we, uh, because I stand for a certain political party, I'm above the rest of the crowd, I can look down on everybody else. And if you're thinking about the other political party right now, you're probably the one to blame for it. You're probably doing it right now. If you're looking down on another political party, if you're in this room today and you're a Democrat and you're looking down your nose at the Republicans, then you're probably guilty of the leaven of the of Herod, right? Or if you're a Republican and you're looking down your nose on it, because what are the Republicans and Democrats, what are we doing? We're looking to men to give us the life that only God can give. We're, look, we're doing the same thing that the Pharisees did. The Pharisees were looking for somebody to come in and set them up as the leaders of the world, as the governing body of all of mankind. That's what the Messiah they were looking for. They were looking for physical answers to spiritual problems. And it caused them to be puffed up. It caused them to be self-righteous and self-sufficient. How often it is that you and I can sit around and talk about uh, that side of our family. Right? Or those people that we know that live over there. When reality, the purpose of the Word of God is for you to look inside yourself. You're not going to change anybody else in this room. God is the one that created us and it is God who changes us. And the way that He does that is through the promise of His Word and the power of His Spirit. What's His Holy Spirit called? The Holy Spirit, right? So through the power of the Word and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are conformed to the image of Christ. And so we need to understand that when God convicts us of our sins, when God convinces us of what Jesus has done to save us from those sins, and when God confirms us, when He changes our hearts and makes us a new creation, that is a gift. And we are then to take that gift and to share that gift with the world around us. To be a light for the world around us. And these people were taking the very light that God had given them, and instead of using it to glorify God... They were using it to put a spotlight on themselves. Look at me. And so, when we talk about this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, we're going to focus mainly on 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. So he says, everyone who confesses me before the Son of Man, uh, confesses me before men, 
the Son of Man will also confess him before the angels of God. So, where is Jesus right now? This very moment. He, right hand of God. Right hand of God. in heaven. Now, he, the Father and the Son have sent the Spirit to come down here and to do a work that Jesus could not physically do in his physical body. The Holy Spirit can be everywhere. Jesus' body can't be everywhere at one time. Despite the Catholic Mass saying that his body is in the bread all over the world at one time. It don't work that way. Jesus is in heaven. He sent his spirit to this earth. And what is the spirit doing right now? One, it's convicting people of sin. It's convincing people of what Christ did on the cross to save them. And it's confirming that they belong to him. Right? How does that take place? Well, all over the world today, somebody's having Bible study somewhere. And so through the preaching of God's Word and through the power of His Spirit, the Holy Spirit is working in the hearts of men. Prayerfully, He is working in the hearts of all of us today as we hear this lesson. Alright? And so He says, If you confess Me before men, the Son of Man will confess you before the angels of God. So where are the angels of God? They're around the throne. Right? And we're going to talk about uh, the... Uh, martyrdom of Stephen, one of the first uh, Christian uh, murdered uh, in the book of Acts. In a couple minutes, we'll get to that. And what we need to realize is, is that Jesus, uh, that Stephen stood before a group of men who hated him and killed him, and professed the name of Christ. And what did what did Stephen say right before he dies? He said, "I." He he looked up into heaven and he said, "I see the Son of Man standing." Right. <laughs> And so what was he saying? Jesus is, stood up looking down on this pro, what's happening here today. And Jesus was confessing Stephen before the angels of God. Right? Jesus was saying, he's one of mine. How do I know he's one of mine? Because he was willing to stand before the world. He was willing to stand before the flesh. And he was willing to stand before the devil and confess Jesus Christ as Lord. And what did the world, the flesh, and the devil do to Stephen for that confession? They destroyed him. But didn't he say forgive them? Yeah, he certainly did. So, Jesus is standing confessing Stephen before the people that are killing him. The men that are killing him are confessing something too, aren't they? What are they confessing? They don't believe. We don't believe. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. All right, now watch. Jesus says, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before the angels of God. So, that confession is not just you going up in front of the church and saying, I believe in God. It's in your daily walk. It's your words, it's your thoughts, it's your deeds, it's your actions, it's who you are. The old King James Bible uses the word, let your conversation be holy, right? What is your conversation? It's not just the talk you have with your friend on the front porch. Your conversation is how you carry yourself. How you act, how you think, how you talk, how other people perceive you. So your daily walk is a confession of who you are and what you believe. Does that make sense? Let me say that again. That's very important. Your conversation, your confession is your daily walk. It's how other people perceive you. It's how God perceives you. It's how the angels perceive you. Remember we talked about that last night? That our conversation is a witness before the angels of God. So there is a there is a eternal opinion of who you are. 
that comes from God, the angels, and the people around you. And so what is Jesus saying? Your conversation needs to be of me. You need to confess me before men. And it says, and then he says in 9, but he who denies me before men will be not denied before the angels of God. Why would somebody deny him? The Holy Spirit. Why would they deny God? They're afraid of getting killed or something. Yeah. (laughs) They're afraid of getting killed. They're afraid of getting persecuted. They're afraid of the offense of the cross. What is the world's reaction? What does Paul say that the world's reaction to the preaching of the cross is? He said it's going to be foolishness to them, and they can't discern it. It don't make any sense. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard, their attitude towards that. Well, not if they hadn't been convicted by the Holy Spirit. If they haven't been convicted by the Holy Spirit, they're going to say, what are you talking about? That don't make any sense. If they haven't been convicted, it's not going to make any sense. So, is everyone who is convicted by the Holy Spirit one who turns to God and believes? Right. No. You can deny it. Right. Now. Jesus says you won't lose one. You won't lose either one. So if they're convicted by the Holy Spirit, then they weren't quite children. No. If they receive and believe the testimony, they're uh, his so sheep. Jesus is reaching out to them to convict them, and they don't. Does, isn't right. Alive. Okay. So. My faith and my belief in the preached word is an evidence that I'm a child of God, right? The fact that I believe it is a fruition of the salvation that I have within me. One who is convicted by the word of God and rejects it Mm -hmm. is putting off the fruit of what? Unbelief. Mm -hmm. Which proves that they are a unbeliever. But... Those men are convicted. We'll see it in the martyrdom of Stephen. When he's preaching at them, he's preaching at them. And it says they gnash their teeth. Why are they gnashing their teeth? Because they were Plus angry at what he was saying. Because it was, it was hitting he home. He was saying, you're denying God. They think he's talking against God, saying he's the son of God. They said, that's blasphemy. Yep. So they, there is a conviction there. there. There's a conviction that they're wrong and God is right. But what do they do? What does the unbeliever do with that conviction? Shuns it and pushes it away. Because they don't want to give up their lights. They don't want to give Right. Or he went to go show them the light. Right. And so there will come a time at one time when eventually they won't even be convicted anymore. Like the preaching of the word won't even do anything to them. That reprobate? Yeah. And so, the more we say no, the easier it becomes to say no. Right? The more we say no to God, the easier it becomes to say no to God. And what you're going to see in in our study of the life of Christ here is that after this, after this denouncement of the Pharisees, after this denouncement of the religious, externally religious crowd, Jesus is going to begin to teach his disciples in parables. He's going to start teaching in parables, not uh, not because the parables are something that will attract the non-believers. It's to disguise it. It's to disguise it. To keep them where they don't hear it. 
They never understand it anymore. Remember, that's what he said about the parables. To you it has been given the, the means to understand these things, but to those on the outside it's foolishness that don't make any sense. And so, as Jesus, the more that Jesus um, brings the truth to the world around Him, what is the reaction to the world around Him? Let's kill this man. And the more truth He brings, the more adamant they become to shut that truth up. So was the was the you know the impression that I get though was that it was the um, Pharisees and all them that really wanted it because he's the one that threatened their existence. Yeah. I mean, the average person, some of them, uh, you know, believe what he said, and some of them, you know, kind of just, you know passed it away, but didn't care. Yeah. But they, but the Pharisees. Well, the Pharisees, scribes, and Indians. There was a whole group of people yeah, that were completely and the Herodians, the ones that were mm-hmm. dependent on the Roman government to give them their power. Mm-hmm. And you remember, the high priest was like tied in with the Roman government, like they were working together. So, what is blasphemy? Um, a blasphemy um, is a verbal insult, and it's uttered intentionally and malevolently against God, revealing an offender's contempt for Him. So, to blaspheme God means to intentionally revile, to speak against God. Well, isn't it to know who He is and speak against Him anyway? Well, sure. Um, it's expressed in various forms in the Bible. So all through the Bible we can see blasphemy. Um, blasphemy can include... So These are some of the ways that we can blaspheme God. Flagrant actions and disdain for God's Word. Would you say that the Pharisees hated God's Word? Now remember, this was... Well, it depends. They didn't consider Christ the Word of God. Right. Well, and they had the Word of God, and yet they didn't believe it. He said, you searched the Scripture for eternal life, but they never found it, did they? Mm -hmm. So, a disdain for God's Word, a disdain for His promises and His people. All right? So not only is it a hatred for God, but it's a hatred for His Word. It's a hatred for his promises and it's a hatred for his people. So the same reactions that the Pharisees had to Jesus are the same reactions that the world around us has towards the Christian. It's a blasphemous spirit. A spirit that hates God, hates the promises of God, hates the word of God, hates the people of God. So not only... Can a blasphemy be just something you say with your mouth? It can actually be something you say with your conversation. Remember, what do we say your conversation is? Your daily walk, the way you live your life. And what were these people accused of? Dressing up nice on Sunday and wearing pretty clothes. Mm -hmm. But when they were at home, they was kicking the cat and beating the wife. You see see what I mean? Like Internally, they were evil. Externally, they tried to carry themselves as if they they were living a lie is what they were doing. So, blasphemy is a hatred for God, a hatred for His Word, a hatred for His promises. What about, like, the, um, the Israelis made a, a bull out of gold? Yep, Remember that? it's blasphemous. Good, we're going to actually talk about it, man. So now, what we're going to do now, we're going to go to the Old Testament. George had a question. Yes, sure. I noticed when I when I when, when you talk about church now, this is over two thousand years ago, right? Yes. 
Now, back then, the only clothes I ever noticed that they'd go to church in were robes or clothes. I never noticed that they were wearing suits and ties. And it's a metaphor. They were wearing. They were wearing. They were wearing what the the Pharisees would wear. They had special robes like, with special like, garbs. The Pharisees would wear something like what you see in the Catholic Church today: the robes and the. <coughs> they they had they had material attire that they put on their body to let everybody know around them that they were God's they were people. But it always kind of reeked of money. Well, the, today. Today we see it as a three-piece suit and tie. Yeah. Oh, that's a really religious guy, or someone who may maybe somebody who carries a big giant Bible around with them all the time. Would so they I mean, dress they, up like they, they didn't like, carry giant Bible not because we're Pharisees, but because we're both blind and we need big print. <laughs> well, what I'm saying is, is they didn't exactly dress like the Pope. No. Well, the high priest would have. Yeah, the high priest. Would've. All right. So. Let's look at the Old Testament. So you were, y'all already guys remember the story in uh, the book of Exodus at the very beginning when Moses was confronted by God in the burning bush. And God said, take off your shoes for the ground you stand on is holy. And then he said, well, who do I tell them sent me? And what did he say? I am that I am. So the name of God is that which identifies God as who he is. And when we talk about the name of God... The name of God is inclusive not only of God Himself, but who He is and what He does. So, the name of God is His Word. The name of God is His promises. The name the name of God is His promise. What do I mean by the name of God being His promise? Well, when you buy a house or a car, you have to sign your name to the contract. What are you saying? All right? I will pay this money. Yeah. Alright? You're making a promise. You're making a vow. And, uh, and for, for except instead of it being written on a stone, it's written on a piece of paper. That's exactly right. <laughs> for, um, for those of us in this room who went into the military, we had to stand up and say, hold our hand up and say we would defend the Constitution. Blah blah blah. We made an oath, didn't we? Right. You make promises, and so God has made a promise. So His God, who He is, is His name, and that name, uh, the concept of His name, is not only Him, Him, and who we call Him by. By the name of Jesus we are saved, right? But it's also His promise. And it's His Word and His people. So think about the fact when we blaspheme the name of God, what are we doing? Just like we said earlier, we're cussing the name of God, His promises, His people. That's what it means to blaspheme. And so I want to look at one passage of Scripture in the book of Leviticus. If you'll turn with me there, we'll see. Now, That's the only unforgivable sin. Of the Holy Spirit, the unpardoned. We're going to talk about the unpardoned sin for class kids. Over. That's hard to understand. Yep. All right. Before we get done, we'll talk about. It. All right. So turn with me to Luke 24, verses 10 through. Luke. Uh, yeah, Luke 24, and we're going to look at verses 10 through 16. Now, before we get there, I do need to remind you that in uh, in the book of Exodus, the children of Israel were given ten rules to live by. What were those ten rules? Ten commandments. The ten commandments. Y'all remember? All right. Leviticus 24. Leviticus, not Luke. Leviticus 24.10. You did say Luke. Leviticus 24.10. In the Old Testament first. You heard heard Leviticus, didn't you? In the beginning you said Luke. I said Luke. Didn't you say Luke? I stand corrected. I can admit when I'm wrong. I stand corrected. All right. So as we're here in Leviticus, remember these are the rules, the, the civil and moral laws that the children of Israel are required to live by by God. 
But before they were given these Levitical laws, they were also given the Ten Words. What are the Ten Words? The Ten Commandments? Time out. Leviticus 24.10. Alright, are y'all there? No. No. Okay. Punishment for blaspheming. Alright. Now, before we read this text, I want to remind you that these this is the book of Leviticus, and the books of Exodus, the children of Israel were given the Ten Commandments. Do y'all remember what the first three commandments are? Love thy God. You shall have no other gods before me. Don't make any images or statues. And don't defame. And don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Alright? So to blaspheme is to take the name of God in vain. What does it mean to take something in vain? Take it where it's something that is vain, it means what? It's what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's empty. It's perfect. Yeah. Alright, so. A person who takes God's name in vain, immediately the first thing that we think of when we think of somebody taking God's name in vain is somebody who says what? GD. GD or uses God's name in their jokes and, and just their everyday talk, right? Yeah. Did you know the Jewish people won't even say God? Any person who yeah. does that shall be known as a blasphemer. All right, right. Now, so think about that. The third commandment says do not take God's name in vain. But if you are in this room today... And you wear the name of Christian. If you go out in this world and live an empty life, you are carrying God's name around purposelessly. You see how that works? So the children of Israel in the the wilderness experience were constantly blaspheming God. Were they not? They made statues. They constantly cursed God when things didn't go their way. They were labeled as God's people. The Hittites, the Amorites, and all the ites out there in Canaan land looked at the children of Israel and said, these are God's people, right? They were supposed to be the witness and the testimony of God. But the children of Israel, all of them died in the wilderness except for two, right? Uh, that whole generation of children, uh, Joshua and Caleb, right? Because they all blasphemed God. So they took God's name in vain. So to blaspheme means to violate the first three commandments. Mm-hmm. To have other gods before Him, to, to worship something other than God, a statue, an image, an idol, or to take God's name in vain. So to blaspheme means... A person who is blaspheming is literally breaking the first three commandments. You see how that works? What if I was a name my dog? If I name my dog after him, is that blasphemy? Is yes. Oh. Yes, because you are putting to the image. You are putting it. An image you are of God. you are putting a name to God that is in the form of an image of something He created. You're trying to put him in a box. The guy that won uh, American Idol yesterday or Sunday, his name's I am. I am. Yeah. He's a lying guy. I don't know if he's saying I am or am. I don't know. I don't know. It's am. No, I had a friend. He was, uh, he didn't speak English that well, so we mostly spoke in Spanish. And he had a dog, and, he, and I asked him, I said, well, what's your dog's name? He had this pit bull, and his name was Jesus. And he called his dog well, Jesus. There is a Spanish name. All right. It's spelled the same way. All right, let's focus. Leviticus chapter 24, verses 10 through 16. Now, the son of an Israelite woman whose father was an Egyptian went out among the sons of Israel 
And the Israelite woman's son and a man of Israel struggled with each other in the camp. The son of the Israelite woman blasphemed the name and cursed so that they brought him to Moses. Now his mother's name was Shelemith, the daughter of Dibri of the tribe of Dan. They put him in custody so that the command of the Lord might be made clear to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring the one who is cursed outside the camp, and let all who heard him lay their hands on his head. Then let all the congregation stone him. You shall speak to the sons of Israel, saying, If anyone curses God, then he will bear his sin. <coughs> Moreover, the one who blasphemes, blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death, and all the congregation shall certainly stone him. The alien as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, he shall be put to death. So these two had a struggle, and the one in the struggle, one uh, the the one guy took the name of God in vain, and Moses went to God and said, "What are we to do with him?" And what did God say? Kill him. All right. Now, um, somebody might look at it and say, "This woman, she was an Israelite woman, but his father was Egyptian, so he was a mixed breed guy." Right. Somebody might look there. Well, the purpose of this is not to focus on the external, but the what? Internal. The problem with the guy is not that he was half Egyptian and half Jewish. The problem was that he had a heart that was willing to what? To blaspheme God. You see how that works? So quickly we are to judge somebody by their external skin color or what part of the country they're from or what language they speak. When in reality, God is judging the heart because that is what drives our intentions. That's what it drives us. So, if the offering plate comes by me at church and I put $1,000 in there, but as soon as the offering plate goes by, I'm angry that I gave it because now I don't have that $1,000. God, the whole congregation out there is looking at you going, oh, look how good he is. He put $1,000 in the offering plate. But where is God looking? He's looking at the heart, right? And that fellow that dropped that thousand dollars in there for that tax write-off, God's looking at his heart, and he's also looking at the heart of a little kid who is a grandchild of a. Their granddaddy gave him twenty-five cent to put in there, and the little kid puts it in an offering plate, knowing that he could have went and bought some candy with it, but he puts it in an offering plate because he wants Jesus to have it, right? God's looking at the heart of the individual who's given. So obedience is better than sacrifice, sacrifice. right? Yep. Yes, ma'am. I'm I'm reading this. And, um what you just read and um, it just seems that everybody put their hands on it kind of like Jesus did for us right? they were put, they put their hands on this person because he was paying for their sins well, it sounds like sacrifice. That's what it sounds like. No, he, he they they put their hands on him as witnesses to say that we heard him take God's name. But but didn't they do that when they did a sacrifice? Put yeah, the they, they would put their hands on a sacrifice to impugn their guilt onto the animal. That's exactly right. right. That's what they're saying here. They lay his hands on the congregation. The point of them laying their hands on him is that, that they are witnesses. that bear his sin. Yeah. Right. But they, the point of them laying their hands on this man is to say that they were witnesses of him taking God's name. Like they saw him do it. They're the ones that are willing to testify that this man is guilty of what, he, of what he's done. They weren't praying for him. <laughs> no, they weren't praying for him. They were all witnesses to say this man deserves to die. Yeah. But, but yes, we could see uh, the we could see Jesus as the one who bore our sins. 
yeah. that took the death but we deserve. That person didn't. Yeah. It's very confusing. But, but that person was very guilty of sinning. That person took God's exactly. name in vain. So they were laying their sins on him? No. They were testifying to the fact that he did what they... Okay. That was confusing. Okay. All right. So... Um, God strictly uh, prohibits the misuse of his name. Uh, It would seem to me in doing that, it would make it more personal to you when you did that and then stone you like, this should be happening to me. Well, it could be. There, there could be that sense. And not only that, it's no, the... It's the comparison to Jesus is too much. Isn't that what we're talking about blasphemy? Yeah. They... This man was guilty of blasphemy in the name of God. He was, he was guilty. And though the, the children of Israel were commanded to stone him to death by putting their hands on him. Now, one of the things that they were doing by that is recognizing the fact that this man deserves to die. But there's also a statement of that is, if I do that, let this happen to me. Because they all deserve it. Yeah, there's a condemnation that comes in that. You know, when you judge other, judge not lest you be judged, kind of thing. So, you know, they uh, they were very aware of how serious it was to take God's name in vain. Okay. That was making them very aware of that. And th- that was their accountability to his act. They're, that was their way of saying, we know that this is something we shouldn't be doing. Makes it real. Yeah. All right. So, in the New Testament... The, the offense of blasphemy is elevated to a higher level. In the New Testament, there's greater revelation. Uh, there's greater revelation in the New Testament than the Old Testament. How is that? More, more is revealed. Yeah, the Word became flesh. So the very promise of God be- clothed Himself in human flesh and walked among us. He made it apparent. Well, that's the New Testament. Yeah, right. And so, uh, the specific members of the Trinity are singled out as the objects of blasphemy. So, blasphemy of the Father, blasphemy of the Son, and blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. The many instances where the Lord suffers vilification and reproach serves as the most appalling example of blasphemy. And in one instance, blasphemy leads to eternal condemnation. God's people can also experience slander for their identification with the Lord. All right? So can we be slandered because we identify with Christ? Yeah. Yeah. We certainly can. All right. So the word blasphemy is used in the New Testament 56 times. Some other English words that we use for blasphemy is curse, revile, slander, insult, malign, or defame. These are all... But you can do all those to something. But when you blaspheme, it's pretty much... That, what it's God. saying is is that in the New Testament, those are um, synonymous words with blasphemy. To blasphemy means to curse, to revile, to slander, to insult, to malign, to defame. Okay. Those are all acts of blasphemy, to do any of those things. So when I think of blasphemy, I think it is just you and God. I can defame you. I can't, you know, I can't blaspheme you. All right. So, Does that make any sense? Yes. So non-believers target blasphemy against God the Father and His name, the Son of God, the Holy Spirit. There's all kinds of examples all through the New Testament of people who blaspheme God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Religious leaders frequently accuse Jesus of blasphemy. 
Now remember, what is the reason that they hung him on there? What what was the final reason? He said he's the son of God. Yeah, he attributed himself to be the the son of God. And what did they accuse him of for doing that? For saying that he was the son of God? You have blasphemed God. So the very accusation that they nailed Jesus to the cross with was blasphemy when in reality they were nailing the name of God to the cross. What were they doing? They were blaspheming. But they were so thoroughly convinced within their own hearts that their darkness was light that they tried to stamp out the true light. You see how that works? All right. So, Paul recognizes that it, it, Paul in his own testimony said that I was going around persecuting Christians trying to get them to blaspheme the name of God. He held them when they were stoning Stephen, didn't he? Held their yeah, but it, but uh, in in Acts he he he's given a testimony and he says he said when I was persecuting the Christians, one of the things that I would do was I would beat them and try to get them to renounce their belief in Jesus. Mm-hmm. He would, he intentionally tried to get the Christians to blaspheme God. The whole book of Hebrews is a warning against going back to the old Judaic system when we have the new covenant. And the accusation that is that if you turn back to that, you are blaspheming God. Now, how is that? If you were to go back to temple sacrifices, how is that blaspheming God? Well, he offered us salvation and we turned it down. Okay. But what did all of those sacrifices supposed to point us to? Jesus. Jesus and what? He's the ultimate sacrifice. And his death on the cross. And so if I now take what I know to be the ultimate sacrifice, by this one sacrifice he has perfected forever those who are in Christ, and then I try to go back and try to use the Mosaic system as a way to gain righteousness, I'm blaspheming God. Yes. I'm taking a further revelation of His promise and trying to cram it back into a shadow. You see how that works? Yeah. All right. So, um, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit occurs in the Synoptic Gospels. That Synoptic Gospel being Matthew, Mark, Luke. Uh, In Matthew and Mark's account, religious leaders explain Jesus' power for exorcism. Now, we did we talked about this just a couple weeks ago. Some of y'all should remember this. Yes, he cast out the demons, and what did the Pharisees accuse Jesus of doing? They the said, you're the devil throwing devils out of people. And Jesus said, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. If the devil casts himself out, he's destroying his own kingdom. Why would he do that? Why would the devil cast out the devil? All right? Jesus teaches that anyone who verbally attributes the work of the Spirit... To Satan, blasphemes against the Holy Spirit. Such a sin cannot be forgiven because that type of slander reveals a hardened heart that has ultimately and finally rejected the convicting work of the Holy Spirit's work which should lead to repentance. Now let me read that statement again. To attribute to the devil something that God is doing. reveals a hardened heart. Such a sin cannot be forgiven because that type of slander reveals a hardened heart that has ultimately and finally rejected the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, work that should lead to repentance. So again, what is the per- why did Jesus, why did the Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit to the earth? 
To convict us. To convict us of our sins. And to help us. To convince us of what Jesus did on the cross. And to confirm that we belong to Him. How does He convict us of our sin? Through the preaching of the Word. And He spurs our heart to realize that we've broken God's commands. He shows us our sin. He reveals our sin to us. But He doesn't just do that just so that we can say, Oh, I'm a lousy sinner. He reveals our sin to us so that we will turn to the cross and see what Jesus did on the cross to take those sins away. The true child of God who is convicted by the Holy Spirit of their sin is going to be convinced of what Jesus did on the cross for them. So what is that person going to do? What is a person going to do who has been truly convicted of their sin and truly convinced that Jesus died on the cross for them? They're going to turn in repentance from their sin and their self and turn to the work of Christ. And by doing that, what happens? They are then convinced that they are a child of God. So the Holy Spirit has been sent to convict us of our sins, to convince us of what Christ has done, to confirm us as His children. The way that we are confirmed as His children is that we are convicted of our sin, convinced of what Christ has done on the cross, and we are regenerated. We are, we are born again children of God. You see how that works? So a person who is blaspheming the Holy Spirit is one who refuses to believe the convictions that the Holy Spirit brings, refuses to believe that Christ died on the cross for them, and refuses to believe that they're a child of God. You see how that works? Yeah. Right? So why is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit so evil? Why is it so such an unpardonable sin? Because it is the final revelation that that person doesn't believe. Mm-hmm. A person who blasphemes the Holy Spirit is one who will never believe. What about the ones that just deny there is a God or deny everything? It's blaspheming God. Like, yeah, yeah. Right. Blaspheming the name of God. And now, can a person who is being convicted by the Holy Spirit say, oh, I don't even believe there is a God? You better believe it. Yes. There's a lot of people that are under conviction that there is a God. So, let me give you an example of this. I got friends that I, well, I got co-workers that I work with at work. And there's these two old guys, they're, they're older men, one of them 70, one of them 60. And they sit around and talk about the Bible all the whole time they're working. They're, they should be working, but they really just don't want to talk about a Bible so they don't have to work. But one of them was a, is a ordained minister, but he don't believe the Bible is the Word of God anymore. What does he do? Right. He, and, and so he sits around and argues with you about the God of the Bible, and it's not the real God. And well, where is the real right, God? So, well, so him and this other guy sit around all the time talking about how God's not real. You see, and they talk, but they, yeah, they're talking about the Bible. And I said, I said, you know, for a God that you two guys do not believe in, you sure do spend a lot of time talking about it. <laughs> yeah. They don't sit around and have two-hour discussions about the Easter Bunny or Santa Claus. Wow. Because they know that those are fantasies. But deep within inside of them, they know there is a God, and they're trying to do their best to convince themselves they don't have to obey God. That's exactly right. That's what it looks like to blaspheme the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And that's why everybody turns away from God. Because God says, no, this is the way I want you to live, and if you don't want to live that way... You're denouncing me. And the reality is, is that we're born turned from God. Like, nobody wants God. Yeah. We're born dead in trespassing and sin. And it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that we are slowly convicted of our sin, convinced of what Christ did, and confirmed as children of God. 
So a person who is who is uh, uh, guilty of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is one who is evidencing in their heart that they are not a believer. Does that make sense to everybody? Do you all see how that works? So it is not blasphemy of the Holy Spirit that sends you to hell. It's the fact that you don't have your sins forgiven for. And how is that proven that you don't have your sins forgiven for? Because you reject the very forgiveness of sin that comes through the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the work of Christ on the cross. You're rejecting that. So your unbelief is an evidence of the fact that you do not believe. And that is expressed through your blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Um, so, let me read that statement one more time because we really got to wind down. A sin that cannot be forgiven because that type of slander reveals a hardened heart that ultimately and finally rejected the convincing work of the Holy Spirit work which should lead to repentance. Alright? So the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit... Uh, appears in this text that we're looking at today, it appears between uh, Jesus uh, has called his disciples to acknowledge rather than deny Jesus and an encouragement not to worry about what they're going to say when they're confronted by the world because God will give them the words to say. So a blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is one who rejects the testimony of the Holy Spirit, who rejects the work of the Holy Spirit. And this is, that, that warning is placed in between Jesus telling his disciples that, uh, not to deny Jesus and that not to worry that when the time comes that they have to stand for him, they, they will say what they're supposed to say, that the Holy Spirit will give them the words to say. So, as, as in Matthew and Mark, the blasphemy of the Spirit is said to be an unforgivable sin due to the hardness of heart which finds particular expressions in a dogged opposite of that rejection of the message. Yeah, to Pharaoh, his heart became hardened. The more he, the, that's right, the more that God tried to convince Pharaoh of who he was, the more Pharaoh rejected who he was. Now, did Pharaoh's denial disprove God? No, it just no. Made it worse. No. It made it worse. That's exactly right. Did he say, I would harden his heart? Right. He so, the Holy Spirit is out convicting the whole world today, right? Mm-hmm. What is the ch- child of the devil going to do with the conviction of the Holy Spirit? He's going to curse, slander, malign that very conviction. What is the child of God going to do when the Spirit of God comes to them? They're going to well, turn and receive it and believe it. So, the unforgivable sin. Um, we'll talk about that real quick. We've got like three minutes left. Um, Jesus warns the scribes and the Pharisees that they are not only guilty of refusing to acknowledge the Spirit of God, but they are also manifesting their own spiritual perversity. All right? Another thing that we need to remember is that in this context, the unforgivable of sin is most understood as apostasy, the denial of Christ by one who has previously acknowledged or followed him. Um, and so, uh, for this reason, some see the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit as a rejection of the Holy Spirit as it's manifested in the disciples of the church. The type of the hostility towards the Holy Spirit, which results in persecution of Christians as evildoers. So what do we say? We said that 
to blaspheme God means to blaspheme the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. To blaspheme the name of God. And remember, the children of God are a part of the promise of God, are they not? Are the children of God a part of God's yes. promise? Yes. Right. So, if the world attacks and persecutes the children of God, what are they doing? Blasphemy. They're blaspheming. They're rejecting the very evidences. So in the same way that Jesus came and evidenced the work of His Father living in, in, in shoe leather, if you will, He walked the earth and manifested the glory of God among the people. And what did the people do? They either received Him or they rejected Him. And the same thing is happening today. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. But His Spirit is now where? Living in the believers. And so what is the world around going to do to those who the Spirit dwell and dwells? Just do the same thing. Do the exact same thing. So let me let me finish with two statements. Number one, a lot of people worry, oh no, maybe I've committed the unpardonable sin. Maybe I've committed the sin of blasphemy in the Holy Spirit. Okay? The truth of the matter is, is if there is really a concern within you that you have done that. You probably haven't. If it's a true concern, like if you're really worried, that shows you that the Holy Spirit is still working and convicting you of your sins. All of us in this room and time in our life have lived slanderously towards the name that God has given us. As a Christian, as a child of God, I've went out and abused His grace. You see how that we all have. The difference in a child of God and a child of the world is is that when a child of God abuses his grace, he's convicted of it and turns back to God to find more grace. You see how that works? So, uh, some people believe that the unpardonable sin is rejecting the Holy Spirit trying to get you to believe in Him. And in a sense, that is true. That is very true. That if the, the Holy Spirit is truly convicting you and you reject that conviction, you are blaspheming the Holy Spirit. You're denying His work in your life. But someone said it earlier, Lord, you said it earlier in our class today. Is there any child of God, a true child of God, that when the Holy Spirit, God Himself, has decided to convert that person, is going to be able to reject that grace? No. No. Salvation is the work of God. Yeah, he's not going to lose one. But Jesus said you couldn't blaspheme his name, right? He said He said you could blaspheme the Son of God, but you can't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Now the point being is is that you could you there could there are people that curse Jesus when he walked the earth, but after he died on the cross they realized that he was the Son of but God. But this is not his brother being one, right? Yeah, right. So what was the point there? The point is is that there were a lot of people that externally saw him and rejected him. But when the Holy Spirit came in and internally convinced them, they believed. So uh, 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 the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is it's not the re- a vocal thing. It's not... It's, it's, it, it, can it, it can be a vocal thing, but it's more a conversation thing. It's the way you live your life. It's, it's, have you rejected the salvation of God? Well, that is a blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. But the unpardonable sin is the person whose heart has been hardened to the work of God. And will never turn. 
So why is their sin unpardonable? Because they've rejected the only means of forgiveness that we have. You see? They've rejected that. So I hope that this class gives you some things to think about. And I hope that it convicts you as it has convicted me. There have been times in my life where I have blasphemed the grace of God. Like God has been gracious to me all of my life. And then I've taken that grace and just went out and lived the wrong way. Are the Jewish people blaspheming God? You tell me. Yes. Yeah, well, they don't believe in Jesus. They would be right. I mean, they don't believe in The people we met, the Pharisees were Jewish. Mm-hmm. They had a chance to accept Jesus or reject him. Again, okay, so the two points that I definitely wanted to make sure that we grasp today one is if you're if you're worried inside that you've uh, working yes if you are if you are worried about the fact that maybe I have committed the unpardonable sin chances are you haven't but on the other hand you probably have some of the most religious people in the world who had the very name of God externally on their Outer being were the very ones who were blaspheming the internal world. So no believer can do the unpardonable sin? It's been... Right. So so there's there's a passage in the book of Hebrew here. It is impossible to restore again to repentance one who commits apostasy since they crucify the Son of God on their own account and holding contempt. This is in the book of Hebrews. So what it's saying is it's impossible for someone to be restored again who has repented and then fallen back into the world. But the point of the book of Hebrews... That's losing your salvation. That's exactly right. But a person who is truly saved is not going to lose their salvation, are they? Right. What the, what the passage in Hebrews is saying is there are certain people that have tasted the things of God but have never internally been converted. They enjoy, like, how many of you know people, let me give you an example. How many of you know people that have been a part of this Bible study and they love to go bowling, they love to go to the dinners at the church, but when it came to the serious things like praying and studying the Bible and doing the things of God, they didn't have time for any of that. They enjoyed the fact that somebody was helping them get out of their transitioning and they enjoyed the the help. But it, when it came time for them to give of themselves in sacrifice, you, you couldn't find them. You see? Mm-hmm. That's a person who is enjoying the benefits of the Christian fellowship. Well, that's kind of like thinking you are, but you're not. That's the point. And the point that I hope that we grasp here is, is that some people that are truly convinced that they are children of God are the very ones that are blaspheming the God who they claim. That's what the ones that claim they are God. Well, if they're claiming they're God, they're blaspheming God. Yeah, they, they, they're. so. But that's like the Pharisees. That's what the Pharisees. Did. That's exactly right. They could denounce Jesus and say, "No, the Savior hasn't come." We, you know, if the Savior was here, we'd be rid of the, the Romans. Yep. So, you know, you're not the Savior. Bye. They can claim that they have the very wisdom of God, but then when they're confronted with the very wisdom of God, they reject it. All right, let's close with a quick prayer. Father, thank you for this time you've given us together today. Thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. 
please continue to work in our hearts to help us to see our shortcomings. Give us the the desire and grant us the repentance to turn from sin and self and to trust you more and more with our lives. Thank you for dying on that cross to save us. Thank you for sending your spirit to convince us of that salvation. And thank you, Lord, for all that you do for us in this daily walk. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.